Welcome to the Destiny Youth Podcast. Destiny Youth is the youth ministry of Destiny Church based in Glasgow. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody out there, and welcome back to the Destiny Youth Podcast. My name is Matt, and I am here today with the one, the only, Pastor Andrew. Uh, Pastor Andrew is the head pastor of Destiny Church here in Glasgow and in many other locations. Um, Pastor Andrew, welcome. Hey, Matt, great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me today. Yeah, fun, fun question. What is your favorite animal and why? Well, at the moment, it's got to be a dog. A dog. It's a dog. Uh, why? Because he lives with me. Mm. Gets me up in the morning. Gets me out walking every day. He's a lot of fun. Yeah. And everyone knows that God spelled backwards is dog. Hey, how cool is that? <laughs> it's excellent. Man's best friend. All right. So on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about connecting with God. And of course, with all of these podcasts with connecting with God, there are many ways to connect with God but all of the ways go through Jesus. You must go through Jesus to connect with God. But today we're going to be focusing on the intellectual, someone who loves meditating on the word, learning from the word, and loving God with the mind. A quick overview, the intellectual feels that to be growing in Christ, they need to have their minds stimulated by scripture and other reading materials and intellectual pursuits. They need a challenge. And if they're not learning new things about God, then it feels like their relationship with God feels a little stagnant. They're not content with the trite answers or shallow responses, but rather seek the depth of knowledge and ask God for insight until they feel a resolve within themselves. They need to understand not only what they believe, but why they believe it. So, Pastor Andrew, I think that you connect with God in several ways, but this is one in particular that that I've noticed, especially in the case of gaining revelation from the Lord and then you wanting to share it with others. So tell us why it's important to crave new, fresh revelation from the Lord in your walk with him. I think for me, one of the things that's the most important, I mean, it's the highest value probably in my life is God's word, the Bible. And Jesus in John's gospel was called the word. He is the word. But God's word and the word are one. And so having a high, high respect and a high regard for the scriptures to me has to be paramount for any Christian's life. And so when I go looking for God, I think it's the first place to find him is in his word. He's revealed himself through his word. He is his word. His word's unchanging. Um, and sometimes when I when I talk to leaders about developing leadership, all kinds of leadership is good and important and we need leaders, leaders in the world and leaders in business and leaders in universities and schools. But spiritual leaders are different to leaders and one of the big differences is this, their knowledge source is different. Mm. So our knowledge source, the way I see the world, not only find God, but the way I see the world, the way I build my life, the way I negotiate and navigate, everything has to be done through the medium of his word. And so predominantly, I go looking for God and I I need his word. Nothing I have to say, nothing excites me more in life than when God shows me something. And but the number one place where I find that is in his word. Um, I think he's revealed himself to us through the Bible, and we need to we need to fall in love with the Bible. You know, there was a time when Scotland was called the land of the book. Mm. And we need to fall in love with the Bible. Um, and then use our mind, our intelligence, our intellect to dig out everything that we can in that book. Not so much that we can quote it or, you know, know the chapter and verse, but we find the God who wrote it and the God who's in it. He'll reveal himself to us through his word. It's funny, I was talking with somebody the other day and I said, it's amazing to me how many people claim 
that they love Jesus, but they spend no time in scripture. And it's like, I, I love Jesus so much. Well, do you read the Bible? No, not really. It's like, well, then you don't actually love him because you would be in love with that scripture oh, because a, yeah. he is the word. Yeah. He said he was. Yeah. Just bringing it back to the Bible, a, a biblical example of an intellectual, I feel like is uh, is King Solomon. Because in 1 Kings uh, 3, I believe, that's when God comes to Solomon and says, I'll give you whatever you want, whatever you desire. And he could have asked for anything like riches, wealth, long life. I personally would have asked for superpowers. <laughs> like, God, just make Which me one? Superman. <laughs> I just want to be Superman so I can fly around and shoot lasers. It'd be great. <laughs> but um, he asks for a discerning heart and wisdom to govern God's people and to distinguish right from wrong. And the Bible says that God was so pleased with this answer that not only did he give Solomon wisdom, he also gave him the riches, the wealth, and the long life along with it. I mean, he had great wisdom and knowledge and revelation from the Lord because he wrote uh, some of Proverbs, he wrote Song of Songs, he wrote so much. And so as, as a person who's also written a lot about scripture and a lot about God, uh, how many books have you written? Just an estimate. Well, I've written, published and finished 13 books, but I've probably got another 10 books on half that I just need to get around to finishing. Wow. 13 books and then 10 just in the pocket. That's it. Yeah. That's awesome. With your books, when you have been sitting with the Lord, studying scripture, uh, getting that new revelation from God, tell us about a time when you got that revelation, like a really great time when he just said something that just broke you. Um, what were you doing during that time and how did it happen? So one is very early on in my Christian experience. I'm a new Christian. Um, a teenager, I know very little about the Bible, don't know how the Bible's put together. It's a bit confusing to me. Um, I'm just told as a Christian now, you need to read it. And I had been to Sunday school, so I knew lots of Bible stories. But I did what a lot of people do when they first get into the Bible. They kind of start on page one. Mm-hmm. Genesis chapter one, and they try to read their way through the Bible, which is what I tried to do. And by the time I got to Leviticus, I threw my Bible in the corner. I thought, this is a crazy book. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. Um, and it was only when I began to realize that actually the word Bible means library, mm -hmm. that we the Bible isn't one book, it's 66 books, and they're yeah. all different genres. So you wouldn't read a library shelf starting the book at one end and read your way through the shelf. And you, the Bible is not designed to read like that. So that began to dawn on me. Then I began to find a way of reading the Bible. And the way I started out was, okay, I'll read something from the New Testament and I'll read something from the Old Testament. And I'll do that daily. And I've had a practice in my Christian life, which I started right then, which I do to this day, which is I journal what I'm reading. Mm. And I still have the little notebook that I had when I was a new Christian and what I wrote in it there. Um, and I used to use little scripture notes to help me. And basically all those notes did was teach me to ask questions of the text I was reading so that I would spend time thinking and reflecting and using my mind to get into it. And so I started this process, but God spoke to me clearly one day. I mean, it, was, it wasn't an audible voice, but it could as well have been because it was so clear. I knew this is God. And it was actually from Joshua chapter one, and it was verse eight. And in that encounter, reading about be strong and of a good courage, I became this overwhelming sense of... Uh, God's right here with me. He's in this mm. book. This book has come alive. These words are speaking to me. And the strange thing is, those words that God spoke to me all those years ago, right then, 
shaped my entire ministry. Wow. It's like the seeds went in about taking ground, taking land, having to be courageous, standing against, standing for. All of those things really spoke to me. It had a profound impact on me, so much so that our first son ended up being called Joshua mm. for that reason. Um, so that was, that was a start of a journey. And what that did for me was it gave me an incredible appetite for more. I became yeah. kind of addicted to finding a word from God. Um, and I actually, I was at school at the time. I couldn't wait to get home from school, get my Bible open and get my notebook open. It became the highlight of my day. Yeah. And it was kind of strange because it wasn't what a kid would normally do when you're a teenager. And there was many things I was interested in. I was interested in all kinds of stuff. I had real great hobbies and I had good friends, but this captivated me. And it set me on a trajectory which I've followed to this day, I guess. But then one of the profound times which totally affected my life, changed my whole perspective, changed my whole perspective of God, changed my whole perspective of people who are not Christians, changed my whole perspective of God's grace. And this was when I had decided one time that we would teach our way and preach our way through the book of Genesis. Um, and I thought it'd be a great thing to do, especially through the summer months, because Genesis is the first book in the Bible, as we all know, but every major theme in the Bible starts in Genesis. Mm -hmm. So any doctrine, anything you want to look at, it starts in Genesis. So I was teaching my way through, and I was getting ready for a message in Genesis 27, and I saw something that just blew me away. It was not at all what I was looking for. It wasn't at all what I expected. And what I saw was this. Here is a man called Jacob, who's a twin. He has a twin brother called Esau. They're not identical twins. They don't look alike. And they have a very famous dad called Isaac. Isaac thinks he's going to die anytime soon. And so he's preparing to leave his last will and testament, his legacy and his inheritance to his kids. Custom in those days was the oldest kid gets twice as much as the other kid. Um, he gets the family named. The f he gets an, an honorable position in the family because he would be the, the patriarch that decided the family destiny, direction, decisions, uh, as well as the family's heirlooms and future. And so it's a really important thing in the Bible, as it is in many cultures, I guess. Um, and it was obviously Esau who was going to be the one who's going to have this blessing from Isaac. Isaac was going to lay his hands on him. And there's that incredible story in Genesis 27 uh, where he tells Esau, who's a hunter-gatherer, loved being out in the fields, go and catch some venison, cook me a stew. When we've eaten, I'm going to lay my hands on you and impart this birthright blessing. Mm -hmm. So off he goes hunting. Meantime, Jacob is at home. Nothing like Esau. He likes hanging around his mother. He likes being in the kitchen. But his mother decides that he is to have the birthright. So they hatch this scheme where they actually dress Jacob up to look like Esau in Esau's clothes. Mm -hmm. They even put goat skins on his arms and on his neck because... Esau was hairy and yeah. Jacob was smooth. And although Isaac was blind, he wasn't daft. Jacob was reluctant to start it. But anyway, he goes through with it. And in effect, deceives his, fail, his frail, blind father. And he robs his brother from an inheritance that was rightly his. But once this birthright, is, this uh, ceremony has gone through, it cannot be reversed. Right. And so now we have Jacob who has stolen, taken, and got what he doesn't deserve and was not his. Esau comes back. He's as mad as a hatter. He's mad enough to kill. He wants to kill Jacob. And so his mother sends Jacob away just for a few days. Those few days turned out to be 25 years, and he never came back and never saw his mother again. But this was the thing that startled me. So here's Jacob. He's running for his life. His brother wants to kill him. He's just stolen. He's just robbed. And he hasn't just robbed anybody. This is Isaac. 
the son of promise. This is the Isaac that Abraham laid on an altar, was about to put a knife through his heart. I mean, this this guy's an incredible guy. And he's the one that's been robbed. Now Jacob is on the run. Jacob runs with exhaustion. He stops in the middle of the desert, middle of nowhere, stoned for a pillow. And in the middle of the darkest hour, God shows up. And Jacob has this profound God encounter. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was God and that was Jacob, how would I have turned up? Well, I would have turned up and I would have made myself as enormous as possible. I would have really brought my holiness to bear on this criminal, this crook, this Mm -hmm. guy who's just stolen and defrauded. I would have told him, I've caught you now. I would have told him, your judgment's imminent. I would have told him, I'm going to wipe you out and you're finished and you're done. That's what I would have told him. Mm -hmm. But instead, what we find is God shows up and he says, Jacob, I am for you. I am with you and I'll never leave you. And Jacob himself is shocked, not just that God shows up, but that he showed up with such grace. Yeah. And to me, that gave me uh, an impact that I've never forgotten about how God's grace overwhelms even the darkest situation, how God will reach to people and commit to people. And God wasn't condoning Jacob's behavior, but something had significantly happened. Jacob, to get this inheritance, had to dress up in his brother's clothes. He even had to smell like his brother, Mm -hmm. smell of the fields. Um, And only when his father was convinced, this is the elder brother, that he got this inheritance. And it made me realize, like never before, that God doesn't ever treat any of us according to our condition, but according to our position. And Jacob had to become like his elder brother to get the blessing. The Bible teaches us we have an elder brother and his name is Jesus. And we've been dressed up in everything that's Jesus. His righteousness has been given to us. And so when our father in heaven looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees my elder brother. Mm. And that's why in the New Testament, you only find the word Christian once, but you find the phrase in Christ 211 times. Mm. And Paul even writes in Corinthians and he says, we have become a sweet smelling aroma. I even smell like Jesus. And that had a profound effect on me because most Christians, we live before God according to our condition. If we've had a good day, if we feel we've walked well as Christians today, if we've, you know, ticked all the boxes, done all the right things, then our condition's good, so God must be pleased with us. On the other hand, we have a bad day, we say things we shouldn't want to say, we do things, we react, all kinds of stuff, we then feel God's got a downer on us. But the truth of the gospel is God never treats us according to our condition. He treats us according to our position. And our position is in Christ. And of course, Jacob went on a 25-year journey with God where he was, his character was adjusted and changed. And God is that with us too. But fundamentally, fundamentally, whoever we are, once you're in Christ, that's how God sees you. And that's probably one of the biggest impacts I've ever had from the Word of God, I think. Yeah, I, I love it when you can go into Scripture in a story. And I was talking with Pastor Dave about this in, in the last podcast. But you can go into Scripture and read a verse that you've read all your life. And then God will give you a new understanding of that verse. And it's just, that's what makes... I, I'm not a big reader. I don't enjoy reading but I enjoy reading my Bible because there's just, it's so interesting. It's its captivating the amount of depth that's in the Bible. And there's a lot of writers out there where people are like, oh, this person writes with such depth. It's like, no, 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 I'm sorry. That's child's play in comparison to the words that God himself I'm with you on inspired. That uh, I just, I love the Bible so much. And speaking of that, one major practice of the intellectual is Bible study, not just Bible reading, 
but Bible studying. That involves engaging the mind and focusing attention on scripture in an attempt to understand and apply truth to every part of your life. Uh, so my question for you is, how often do you study the Bible? And then how would a, a young person, a youth, or someone in uni go about growing their hunger for the Word? If I can just say this first, because we're talking about uh, our minds and being intellectual. The Bible says that God makes wise the simple. And I have seen people, and I know of people, who would start out, and you would never call them academic intellectuals, but the very study of the word somehow improves and enhances their mm -hmm. intelligence. And historically, of course, in this country, certainly in this city, the main university in this city was started by Christians to study the word. And that wasn't just theology. It was just they, they thought God was in mathematics. They thought God was in science. They thought yeah. God was in creation. Most of our educational system started with Christians. Um, schools were started with Christians. Um, everything to, and it going back 200 years, maybe 300 years, it was common practice for anybody going to a university to study science would study divinity at the same time. Yeah. They knew that they couldn't make sense of anything unless God was involved with it. We've gone through what they call the enlightenment, which was really the endarkenment. Mm -hmm. And we've gone through modernism and postmodernism where God's been left out of everything. Um, and now we find ourselves in a world where people say the most ridiculous things. Yes. And even the guy in the street is saying, where's common sense gone? We're going backwards as far as intelligence is concerned. Um, but coming to study the word, God works in you. God works in your thinking. God's given us a mind. And the Bible teaches us that we should serve, serve and love the Lord our God with all our mind, as well as with all our strength and our soul and our being. We should apply ourselves with our thinking and use our mind to study the scriptures. Um, there's a proverb which says, it is a king's, it is God's prerogative and privilege to conceal a matter, but it is a king's privilege to search it out. Mm -hmm. It's a kingly thing to do, to search something out. Um, and I think we should go searching for God in the scriptures. So I think as, a, as an approach to life, our kids need to learn that. And we may never be big readers and we may not be, we may not see ourselves as intellectuals or we may see our life differently, but that isn't the case when it comes to God's word. God's word wants to change your life. So I think you, you need to use your mind to do it. Um, how often do I study the word? Well, I would, I would say I study the word every day. There's never a day that goes by when I don't read the Bible. Yeah. And now it's so easy because it's on your phone, right? Wherever you go, you got it with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have a system of studying. So my system early on used to simply be read through the Bible in a year. And so I would read a bit of the old, bit of the new in a systematic way, get a reading plan of which there's thousands out there. Some of them are really good. So I can truthfully say I have read the Bible from cover to cover dozens and dozens of times. Mm. I've read it all. But like you just said, which is what I always, I always find remarkable, I will come to a book that I've read 30 times, 40 times, and I'll swear it wasn't in there the last time I read yeah. this. I am sure that was not there the last time I read this passage. And so it's forever new. It's always coming alive. Um, but then I will give many hours in the week to what you might call in-depth study. And so probably in the course of any one week, I spend at least 20 hours a week studying the Word of God, sometimes more. Um, and in that study, I will use various tools to help me. Uh, when I first started studying in such a fashion, I needed a big table mm -hmm. because I would need to open about 
15 other books to help me study one thing in the scriptures. Now all I need is a laptop. Yeah. And I can get everything pretty fast. Um, and all of these tools, they used to be so expensive years ago. You know, I had to pay 14, 50 pounds for one book. Now everything's available for free. So there's no excuse for anybody to get into the word anymore. Yeah, especially for Americans. Because I remember when you came to America, we have bookstores dedicated just to the Bible. Uh, warehouses. Which I find amazing. Yeah. And every time I go to the States, I've just got to visit one of those yeah. places. It's it's fantastic. Any Any sort of... Uh, translation, any sort of word study you want, they've got it. The last one that I picked up, which was actually when when you were uh, with us in Texas, was a historical study through the amplified version of the Bible. To find something that specific at a physical store that you didn't have to order online is incredible that you can even find that. I think it's amazing. I mean, the resources are so rich in the States. We have hardly anything like that in this country at all. Yeah, it, it's really upsetting when Christians don't, number one, have a hunger to read scripture when you can literally just go get any sort of translation that you want. And then meanwhile, you have uh, you know, underground churches in China that get one page of the Bible that yeah. they share in between them, but their hunger for that scripture is so great to where yeah. they've memorized yeah. just chapters of the Bible, word for word. I actually have a fr I actually have a friend who got saved in prison, and um, he'd never ha never owned a Bible, never seen the Bible. This is in this country. Would you believe it? Mm. I mean, this isn't Russia or China. This is in this country. And uh, he was in prison. He decided to smoke a joint one day, and picked up a book, mm. ripped a page out to smoke his joint and realized it was a Bible that he'd ripped a page out and he started reading his joint. Hmm. He unwrapped it and came to know Jesus through it. That's awesome. And was then forever mesmerized with the Bible he started ripping up. But here's another little story. My aunt, who went to be with the Lord, she died this year, she was 101. She came to know Jesus when she was 96. Mm -hmm. Total grace of God. I talked to her many times. She just wasn't interested. And then she was watching Sue on TBN one day, just happened to come across the program. Sue offered to lead people to Christ. She prayed, she gets saved. Um, so she becomes a Christian in 96, but she keeps asking for Bibles. So I bought her a couple. Mm -hmm. Then my cousin, her daughter, just kept buying her Bibles. And uh, at her funeral, my aunt's funeral, my cousin said to me, do you know why? We all kept buying her Bibles. I said, I have no idea. She said she would read her Bible and anything that spoke to her, she'd cut it out. Mm. And her bedroom was wallpapered with verses she'd cut out from Bibles that had just spoken to her. That's why she kept needing new Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew that. But here's a lady at that age, hungry for God's word. Yeah. How how have you just throughout your life, um, and it, w with some people, I think there's just a it's an e it's easier to get a hunger for scripture, just like how some people it's easier to get a hunger to be in the Lord's presence through worship, however it is that they easily connect with God. So it might have been easy for you to get a hunger for scripture, but if there's a youth or a young person out there listening who wants to grow in their hunger for scripture, what would be your advice to them? Get addicted to getting a word from God. And by that, I mean, I, I, I think we can experience God in so many ways. Right? We can, you know, when I walk out in the countryside, I can experience God. I can feel God in worship times and occasions. But I need to tell you, there is nothing like a word from God when God speaks mm. to you. And his number one way of speaking to people is when something lifts off the page of the Bible and you know that's God talking to you. Once you experience that once, nothing else satisfies. Because this yeah. is God, right? 
This is God speaking to you. And the incredible thing is God knows everything about your situation. He knows your circumstances. Not only does God know your circumstances, he knows how you're feeling about your circumstances. Mm-hmm. Not only does he know how you're feeling about it, he knows how you're processing it. So when you get a word from God, it's like this multidimensional word. It's the simplest word, but it touches you in every part. It doesn't only make sense into the situation you're in, but it puts peace in your soul. It brings your mind to a place of rest. It gives you an unusual confidence. And even if all hell is breaking out against you, that word sustains you. Yeah. And if you remember the story in the Bible about Samuel, he'd been dedicated as a child uh, to the service of God and so you know, he was a little kid, maybe five, when she brought him to live with Eli, the priest, in the in the in the temple. And God starts speaking to Eli, uh, starts speaking to Samuel rather, but Samuel doesn't recognize it's God. Yeah. And so he jumps up in the night and thinks it's the old man Eli. He says, "You called me." He said, "No, I didn't call you." Well, after this happened three times, Eli, who's been a priest right forever, it dawns on him that God is speaking to Samuel. So he says to Samuel. Sam, that's God. Now you must say, speak, Lord, your servant's your listening. listening. Yeah. And Samuel became one of the greatest prophets that Israel ever had. It all started there when he tuned in. And, you know, sometimes people say, I get nothing out of the word. Well, you've got to tune in. And by tuning in, it's a simple process. If God can speak to a five-year-old child, he can speak to you. And the way that I do that is, I need to get rid of all distractions. So although I like reading my phone on the go, I don't read my phone at home because mm-hmm. there's just too many messages coming in and there's too many things that I want to fiddle with. So I like using a hard copy at home. Then nothing's coming in other than the Bible. Right. And still your own heart, pray, God, speak to me today. And then just expect God to speak to you. And anything that rises out of a page, take a note of it. And before long, you find that you're tuning in to God. Let me give you an illustration to try and explain what I'm saying. Several years ago, I wanted to buy a really cool hi-fi system. And I thought, I'm going to get a good one. I'm going to get a real good one. So I saved up some money and I'd actually saved up 500 pounds. Right. So this is going back a few years. That was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And um, one day I had a friend come and stay with us for a weekend. So it just so happened that this friend was a concert pianist. And he was in town because he was playing in a world piano competition. And he had a great chance of becoming the world's best pianist. He was a friend. He was in the competition. So he stayed with us. So he's entering these various stages of this competition. And then he says to me Saturday morning, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm going to buy a a hi-fi system. He says, I'll come with you. So we go to a shop that I'd plan on buying something. He takes one look at it. This thing was about 500 pounds. He said, that's that's rubbish. Mm. To me, it was like the top of the range, right? Yeah. So he says, let me find you something. So... He kind of asks about, and we find this specialist shop in the city that I didn't know existed. So we go to this shop. He says to the guy, fetch me these speakers. Put it on this cable. Give us this amp. Put this CD with it. So the guy sets all this up, and then I listen to it, and I'm blown away. Mm. I mean, it made my 500-pound thing sound like a tin can, right? Mm. Trouble was, what I was now listening to was 6,000 pounds. Yeah. Well, you know what happened? I didn't have £6,000 and I was no longer happy with 500 quid systems. Mm -hmm. So I went without the system for years and years and years until I could buy something decent. Yeah. And listening to God is a bit like that. You think, oh, that's what it is until you start tuning in. And when your ears tune in and you start hearing things, you become very sensitive to God speaking to you. And there's nothing like it. In fact, I'm at the place where I can't live without it. Yeah. I cannot live without a word from God. And I sometimes pray, God, if you ever stop talking to me, it's time to take me home because yeah. I don't want to even be here. There's nothing left. If your word isn't coming 
And then that word fits situations, gives you faith for situations. So for any kid, any youth, anybody starting out, ask God to speak to you like a five-year-old Samuel and you'll tune in, put distractions to this to one side. And boy, when you get it, you know you've got it. And do you know when you've got it, do you know what you want to do? You want to tell everybody. Yeah. You just, I, I remember hearing things from God and beginning to share it. And it didn't have the same impact on the people I was sharing it with as it did to me. But that was God's word to me, and that's what made it special. Yeah, that actually rolls right into another uh, aspect of the intellectual is that, uh, and I think you model this extremely well, is the intellectual loves to witness, just like how whenever a scientist forms a hypothesis, does an experiment, and then gets a conclusion. When they get the conclusion, they obviously want to share that conclusion. And it's the same thing with receiving a word from God through your studies. You want to witness and tell the difference that God has made in your life through that word or the difference it can make in somebody else's life. What's your favorite way to, obviously you've written books, but what's your favorite way to witness to people with a word that the Lord has given you that you feel is to be shared? That's a good question. There's a few things that I think um, are effective ways of sharing things. And I think there's two ways that I'd like to use. One is by starting with a question. Mm. Um, so sometimes I'll say things like, uh, what's God's favorite verse? Mm. Uh, people get a bit confused to start with, I don't know. So I'll explain, say, well, you know, when when the church was being formed, they only had the Old Testament and the New Testament was being created as they went along. So what was God's favorite verse from the Old Testament that he kept repeating in the New Testament? In fact, it's now become the most quoted verse in the New Testament. I haven't found anybody yet who knows the answer mm. until I tell them it. And usually people think it's the verse, love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And that's the second most quoted verse in the Bible. But the most quoted, and it's the most quoted by miles, by miles, twice as much as that other verse, is Psalm 110. Mm. And it's it talks about, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Mm -hmm. Rule in the midst of your enemies. It's hard to believe that a, a verse about warfare is God's favorite verse. Yeah. It's the one that's most quoted. Um, and that's intriguing. That leads you to a pile of other questions. Why is that the most quoted? Why is that so important to God? Why does God talk about warfare? And then we realize we're born on a battlefield. Yeah. We're in warfare. Um, and when you realize you're in warfare, you begin to see things the Bible talks about, such as the Bible, the word is the sword of the spirit. Yeah. Well, if you go, if you go to a battle without a gun or a sword, you've got a problem. Yeah. And if you walk this life without a weapon, you've got a problem. Your weapon, your number one weapon is the word of God. And Jesus used that weapon when he defeated Satan in the wilderness. Yeah. So are you going to go out unarmed today? You need a word. You need a word to fight. You need a word to stand. Um, and the second way I like communicating things is often by a story. Yeah. Jesus was a great storyteller. Um, but stories often, before we know it, we're in the story. And when we're in the story, the implication of the story becomes very personal. We begin to see, wow, that affects me. Um, so I like sharing things like that. Um, and I often find that God speaks to me. Oftentimes, when I'm going to study, um, my study time starts when God asks me a question. Mm. And I don't know the answer. And then I'm pondering, and I'm thinking, and I'm reflecting. And I'll go looking for that answer, and then I realize what it is God is trying to say to me. Um, and it's like all the lights turn on. Yeah. Uh, to me, there's nothing more exciting than having a walk with God that comes from his word. And I would encourage every young person to 
use your mind to get a grip on it, yeah. to, to understand it. Um, realize how the Bible is put together. The other beautiful thing is, I find this incredible, right? So I've never gone to study Hebrew and I've never gone to study Greek. Those are the two main languages that the Bible was originally written in. Today, you don't really have to go and study unless you intend to be a Bible translator or something like that because people have done the study for you. Yeah. And you can find with tools very, very easily what the root meaning of words are. But there's some really cool things in the Bible. Oh, yeah. Such as the Hebrew alphabet. For every letter, it has a corresponding number. Mm -hmm. And when you start reading the Bible, you begin to find sequences and yeah. mathematical sequences. And you think, how could anybody have written something with such perfection? Yeah. And then you realize this book is just profound. I haven't even begun to scratch the surface of it. And then I always think it's cool when I used to keep a book one time of all the scientific facts in the Old Testament that are true that were not discovered until recent times. Yeah. Um, all kinds of things like, you know, Job, oldest book in the Bible, talks about air having weight. Yeah. Well, they didn't discover that till the 1600s. Um, Isaiah talks about the world being round. Mm -hmm. um, and all these kinds of things in the scriptures, you think, how do they even know that? Well, yeah. It's because the creator was writing the book and revealing all these things. So I think it's really cool stuff like that to find as well. And then, of course, there's a whole pile of stuff to do with archaeology. Mm -hmm. And the other interesting thing is there's every detail in the Bible is interesting and has significance. Numbers have significance. Yeah. And these numbers keep occurring. What do those numbers mean? Search that out. When there are buildings built, like the tabernacle, which is a very elaborate tent, every item in that tabernacle has deep significance for our lives today. Yeah. Well, there's a year's worth of study just on that. Yeah. Dave and I were actually speaking yesterday about the tabernacle and how the the specific layout meant things from the past and had a reference to the past, meant things for that day, and meant things for the future, especially with Jesus coming to, fill, to fulfill everything that he said he would. Whenever God gave them the instructions for the tabernacle, there, there was a representation of the past, a representation of the present, and a representation of the future. And that's all throughout the Bible. It's just, it's fascinating how it supersedes time. Because obviously it was written by a God who supersedes time. Amen. But there's, there's no other book that supersedes time in such a way. No other book. Absolutely. And then, obviously, we realize that everything in the Bible is about Jesus and the cross. And then you start seeing things like, you know, some of the stuff you realize in the scriptures, you think, why is this even in here? Mm -hmm. So here's an example, right? When they were, when the children of Israel left Egypt and all the miracles that got them out, and then they come into the wilderness, God takes time to tell them how they're meant to camp. So there are 12 tribes. There were different sized tribes. Some tribes were much bigger than others. But God tells Moses, these are to go on the north, these are to go on the south, these are to go on the east, and these are to go on the west. And the camp is designed and pitched by God. And the tabernacle is in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. If you took an aerial view, if you went up in a drone and looked down at the camp, what would you see? You would see a cross, hmm. a perfect cross. And you think, that is phenomenal. That even the design of the num numeric number of the tribes, their positioning to the compass, with God's presence in the tabernacle in the middle, and when you look down, what you see is a cross. Mm. And you think, these details, I mean, they're just immense. Yeah, it's not by any accident. It's planned by the greatest planner that there is. Amen. Even colors have a significance in Scripture. Yeah. And that's a whole study in itself. What would you say 
this is just a fun question. What would you say is your favorite book of the Bible? That's a that's a good question. Um, top of my head, I would say Joshua because mm. it's the one that's shaped my life the most. Um, Truth-wise, I would say it's Romans. But here's a tip that I would give to every Christian, right? And I would say this to any Christian person. The, the books in the Bible have different genres, different yeah. sections. One of those sections is called the wisdom literature or books of wisdom. I would encourage every Christian to read those five books at least once in a year. And when we talk about intellect and intelligence, you read the wisdom literature once a year, you'll become smart. Mm. And you'll become smart because you'll get a God perspective. You'll realize how big God is. So at least once a year, I take my time to read through the what's called the wisdom literature, which is what I'm reading in my own personal time right now. So the wisdom literature are Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and the Psalms. Mm. Um, and if you just take time once in a year, just read those books. You can you can read them as a, in a one night even, but maybe take two or three weeks to read through them. You get a you get two things. You get a big understanding of a big God. You realize how big God is. Yeah. And you'll also get the basic questions that people ask in life. You'll get the answers like why am I here? What's life all about? Um, Ecclesiastes, you know, some people think, what is this book in the Bible all about? Because it's the book that contains everything is pointless. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Mm -hmm. You know, Solomon wrote it. His conclusion in the book is life is pointless. There's nothing new under the sun. Everybody's done everything. The books have been written. Everybody's studied everything. So what's the point? And the point of Ecclesiastes is if you live life without God, there is no point. Yeah. It's pointless. And he concludes by saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because mm. if you will remember your creator in the days of your youth, every choice, every decision you make, every career choice, choice of getting married, choice of where you even live and the church you're a part of, they'll all have a big purpose behind them. And sometimes I tell people, you got to keep your mind on the big thing while you're doing the small thing so that all the small things move in the direction of the big thing. That's excellent. I love Ecclesiastes. It's one of my favorites. Really? Yeah. People think it's a downer, but I, I read through it and I'm just like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> this yeah. is all, this is all just junk in comparison to the, to the presence of God. Uh, my my favorite to read from though is it's always been judges ever since I was a kid. Wow. It's been my favorite book. Uh, they're all good, um, but one thing that I've I've encouraged the youth with is find a book that really challenges you because judges doesn't. There's not a whole lot of challenge for me personally in judges. I just love reading it, but then if I read through James, there's a whole lot of challenges for me personally, um, and that's one of the, the bigger things that I've always encouraged them is read something that's challenging you, challenging you to change, challenging you in pointing out things that you have in your life that's not pleasing to God. And there's plenty of things in, in all of us that's not pleasing to God. And when you read through scripture and you feel that little sting in your heart where it's like, oh, that's me. That's something I have to work on. It's, I mean, you feel bad for a second, but it's such a good feeling because it's like, I'm, I'm still growing and there's still growth that I have inside of myself. I haven't made it. I never will make it. And that's something that's so beautiful is you never fully reach the end. Even when we're in heaven with, with God, there's still all these things that we're going to discover about him that are new. And it's just this, as a person who is an intellectual person or someone who loves learning, you can be confident in the fact that when you are in the presence of God forever, you will never stop learning about him. And that's what's absolutely incredible Amen. about him. You know, sometimes people talk to me about, 
what's heaven like? And they imagine it's going to be one of the most boring places. Yeah. But it's unending journey of discovery in my mind. Mm-hmm. All the things that you've just said. I like the book of Judges. You know why I like the book of Judges? Um, when I was a kid, an American aunt gave me um, the Bible in comic form. Mm. So every story was illustrated like a comic. Yeah. And I remember reading the stories from Judges in the comic form and, you know, Samson carrying the gates of the city. I can, mm-hmm. see, I can see the picture now up to the top of the mountain. Um, I can see him finding that jawbone. Um, I can see Gideon. I can see a picture of Gideon blowing the trumpet. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Judges is also a, a book of a big warning because they go around the same cycle yeah. seven times and they just don't learn the lesson. God delivers them. They worship God. Then when life is good, they go back to idolatry and yeah. round it goes. Um, the other thing I would say to uh, young folks these days about the Bible is you will not find anywhere on planet Earth the coolest stories. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think of Lord of the Rings or the Matrix or anything, right? There's, the Bible's full of the coolest stories. Yeah. Um, can you imagine Joshua speaking to the sun and saying, sun, stand still? Yeah. Can you can you imagine God fighting with throwing down hailstones as big as footballs? <laughs> yeah, it, it's I the mean, most epic story there is. This that's it. Period. It's the most epic story. You're there never is. going to find stories like the ones ones in the Bible, and um, even if you just get get a grip of the exciting stories in scriptures, it'll it'll just grip your heart. Yeah, we used to have a little tradition in our family when my kids were small. Uh, I had a study which had a coal fire in it and we would light the coal fire and turn out all the lights and I would sit and tell them these Bible stories with all the graphic details. Mm -hmm. And you think, these are the most exciting stories boys can hear. Yeah. I mean, Ehud with with the king and then sneaking in with his left-handed sword. Yeah, yeah. I love telling that story to my kids. (laughs) It's like, so he snuck in there. And then he killed the king. And then it says that his entrails spilled out on the floor. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, awesome. <laughs> and the sword stuck in so <laughs> deep. <laughs> he couldn't pull it out. So he just left it in there. He oh, did his job and went home. And what, what about that lady with a tent peg? Oh, yeah. JL. <laughs> oh, I love that story. Come, come on in here, evil king. Yeah, have a nap. Tink, 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 tink. Done. Oh, it's such a good book. Uh, the last thing I want to cover is and I think this is a really important one for for young people today is submission of our minds to God. I have several verses here. I'll I'll go over a couple of them. 2 Corinthians 10:5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Another one is Colossians 3:2, set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth, which have only temporary value. And then Romans 12, uh, 22, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We, we live in a time, and this is actually one of the reasons why I wanted to start doing this podcast, because I don't like podcasts. I hate the idea of it. But there's so many podcasts out there teaching the wrong things. So this was a part of like me asking God, because God put the the thought in my mind, podcast, I don't want to do a podcast. It's like, no, no, no. You get mad about all of the garbage that's out there. You do something good that glorifies me. But with that being said, with everything that's coming against the minds of young people what is your number one encouragement on the renewing of their mind the renewing not only of as an intellectual person but just your mind in the way that you simply think about the world around you how do you continue to daily renew your mind in christ 
I think fundamentally you have to answer one big question. And this question was asked by Pontius Pilate when he had Jesus standing in front of him. And Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? And we have to come to the place where we will submit to, acknowledge God's word as the truth. Yeah. And we have to make a decision that it is our final authority on all matters. And then secondly, we've got to get to know it. And so when the Bible talks about renewing our mind, it's not like the world thinks of meditation, empty your mind. Right. Your mind is not designed like that. It is impossible to have an empty mind because something will rush in to fill it. Mm. And so when the Bible talks about renewing your mind, it's about replacing one thought with another. So when a negative, dark or untrue thought comes my way, I capture that thought. It's not a case of trying to remove it. It's a case of trying to replace it. And I replace it with what God says about that situation. So if I feel fearful when I'm facing a challenge that's overwhelming and everything inside me says, you're done, mm. then I replace that with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the truth. Yeah. And so I go on that journey of putting God's word in and letting that be the arbitrator of everything that I'm thinking, choosing and deciding. And there isn't anything like God's word. It is superior to everything known yeah. to man. Um, and also it's important to say this. Yes, the Bible teaches us that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, not the removal of our brains. Mm. And I promise you, any young person listening today, right? I promise you, there is no question you can ask. There is no scrutiny that you can bring that God doesn't have an answer for. Right. I have, I have a friend who lives in the village where we live and he's, he is an intellectual. And he's a, he's a highly specialized eye surgeon. Very, very clever guy. He, actually, he teaches eye surgery to new eye surgeons. And his wife became a Christian. She found Jesus. And he said to me, Andrew, they just tell me, just believe. Mm. But I can't just believe. All my life I've been a scientist. And I said to him, you don't have to just believe. Search out the facts, then believe what you find. And if you go into the scriptures like that, I don't care what intellect you've got, you will find that it stands scrutiny. Yeah. Jesus really did raise from the dead. All the evidence, when it's examined, proves it to be so. And you will find that God's word is true. And there's nothing that anyone out there can do to prove it not to be so. Right. So you can bring the greatest brains on planet Earth. And I want to tell you, God's word is already way ahead. But don't be afraid of asking the question. Don't be afraid of going on a search. Um, I know of people, this is actually how I came to know Jesus. I knew the Bible stories. I believed in God. I was raised to believe in God. There's never been a time in my life when I've been an atheist. It made sense to me. There's got to be a creator, right? I've never been an agnostic in not knowing. I've always believed there's a God, but I didn't know this God, didn't know him personally, wasn't saved. And one day, uh, it came to a head when I was standing with my mates in school. There was about six of us in this little group having a chat. There was one girl and she'd become a Christian. And she starts talking in our little group about the Bible. And I say, into this group. Well, you can't believe everything the Bible says. You know, it's just a collection of stories. And she turned to me and she looked me straight in the eye and she said, have you read it? To which I immediately replied, yes. And I heard a voice on the inside go, liar. Yeah. Because <laughs> at that point, I hadn't. But you know what I did? Went and read it. I went and read it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, she ain't going to catch me again. And I began to read it. And it was the word that opened up to me. And every question I brought to it, it just answered. So you don't have to remove 
your brain or your intelligence. Use your mind, come searching, come looking, and God will do far more than you can even ask or think. Yeah, I love that. As we close out, would you mind just praying over the people listening who may connect with God in this way, but specifically, would you pray for there to be a new fire lit in people, a new hunger for God's word and for scripture? Sure. Lord, we want to thank you for the Bible, the scriptures. We we remember how you have given it to us, how you've preserved it, how lives have been lost and laid down for us to have it in a language we can read and understand. I pray for every person, even if they don't even know you yet, that you will awaken a hunger in their heart for your word and take them on a journey. Lord, I want to thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you tailor make it according to our life experiences, our personality, the, the way we're made up. God, your word always fits. Mm. And I just pray that there will be an immense hunger, that you would, in fact, Lord, I'm really praying this today, that you raise up a generation of people who are passionate about your word, know your word, talk your word, share your word, preach your word, raise up a generation like we've never seen before. Yes. And Lord, I pray that that word will become so intimate into every person's life. It'll, it'll touch the secret place. It'll, it'll bring faith. And out of that faith, exploits will happen. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Pastor Andrew, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We will see you next time on the Destiny Youth Podcast. See you later.